Hello and welcome to Talking TBIs. Join me as I discuss what's new in traumatic brain injury research and highlight current problems in TBI diagnoses. This series will focus on the use of serum biomarker tests for detection of brain injury and potential changes in practice to come. My name's Amalia and I'm a second year physician assistant student. So for my graduate project, I decided to create this podcast series intended for emergency department providers, but really would be of use to any provider, especially anyone who works in neurology or trauma and acute care. So this first episode, I'm going to talk more about epidemiology, current diagnostic methods, and management of mild TBIs. The second episode, we'll discuss a few front runners in the biomarker research realm, including S100B, glial fibrillary acidic protein, or GFAP, and ubiquitin C hydrolase L1, or UCHL1. And then the last episode, we'll discuss how these biomarker tests might change the way we practice clinically. So I hope you stay tuned for these three episodes and learn something new. Let's get started. So when people present to the emergency department with suspected head injury, the first thing people usually think of is sending them to the CT scan. But how do we know who needs a CT scan and who doesn't? Wouldn't it be advantageous to have a test for providers that's quick, objective, and lets us know if they will have CT-positive brain injury? This is where biomarkers might come into play. They've been researched recently to determine their clinical usefulness in detection and prognosis of traumatic brain injury. When blood-brain barrier disruption occurs with head injury, CNS-specific proteins are released into the bloodstream and can be measured with a simple blood test. I will go further in-depth with a few serum biomarkers and their diagnostic and prognostic abilities in the next episode. So, first let's start with the definition of traumatic brain injury. This is going to be a review for our emergency medicine providers out there, but for anyone else listening, um, here you go. So the CDC defines a TBI as an injury that affects how the brain works. It may be caused by a bump, blow, or jolt to the head, or a penetrating injury such as a gunshot. Since this is such a vague definition and those injuries can occur on a spectrum, there is, of course, a spectrum on which we classify severity of TBIs. There are three main categories, mild, colloquially known as a concussion, moderate, and severe. So as you probably know, TBIs in the emergency department are a frequent problem visit. According to the CDC, there are about 61,000 TBI-related deaths in 2019 alone. This calculates to about 166 people dying from TBI-related deaths each day for an entire year. Additionally, the CDC data sheet from 2014 states that there were roughly 2.5 million TBI-related emergency department visits that year, which is about a 53% increase from 2006. This number continues to rise in the more recent years. So this is just a huge problem that's only growing. Additionally, Um, The CDC data sheet from 2016 to 2017 stated that children, meaning anyone 17 years old or less, made up about 8.6% of all TBI-related hospitalizations in 2016 and about 7.8% in 2017. So what happens when a patient presents to the emergency department with suspected head injury? We'll start where we always start with a history and physical or a primary trauma survey if they're presenting as a trauma. A history of a direct blow to the head, penetrating trauma, acceleration, deceleration injury, or explosions with symptoms of new onset confusion, altered mental status, amnesia, deficits in neurologic function, all of these things would point in the direction of a traumatic brain injury. 
Physical exam would include inspection of the head for obvious trauma or deformity, palpation for deformity and tenderness, and inspection of the face for things like battle sign um, or raccoon eyes, like bruising around the eye sockets. And then, of course, you'd want to do a full head-to-toe neurologic exam to see if there's any localizing neurologic deficits. Additionally, patients will be evaluated using the Glasgow Coma Scale, or GCS. This evaluation looks at eye movement, motor response, and verbal response. The maximum score is 15, and the lowest score is 3. The higher the GCS, the better condition the patient is in. A mild TBI is usually a GCS of 14 to 15, moderate is about 9 to 13, and severe is anything less than 9. Once patients are evaluated with the GCS, providers will typically look at clinical decision rules like the Canadian Head CT Rule, New Orleans Criteria, or Nexus 2 to determine if the patient should have a head CT to look for brain injury. The patient's history is helpful here to determine the mechanism of injury and determine severity. In the same, presenting symptoms are important, such as visual changes, nausea, vomiting, level of consciousness, amnesia, headache, etc. The Canadian Head CT Rule states that anyone with suspected brain injury in any of the following criteria should have a head CT scan. So, GCS less than 15, two hours after injury, suspected open or depressed skull fracture, any sign of basal skull fracture like hemotympanum, raccoon eyes, battle sign, um, cerebrospinal fluid leak, rhinorrhea, two or more episodes of vomiting, age 65 or older, amnesia from events occurring more than 30 minutes prior to impact, and then dangerous mechanism. So again, it's it's looking a lot at mechanism, it's looking at presenting symptoms, and then, of course, if someone's older, then they're at higher risk for a brain bleed. The New Orleans criteria um, is pretty similar. Anyone with a GCS of 15 requires a head CT if there's headache, vomiting, age over 60, drug or alcohol intoxication, persistent anterograde amnesia, seizure, or visible trauma above the clavicle. And again, very similar, but the Nexus 2 criteria states that a CT is indicated for a significant skull fracture, scalp hematoma, neurologic deficit, altered level of alertness, which they're denoting as a GCS of less than 14, abnormal behavior, coagulopathy, or persistent vomiting. So that was a lot to cover, but a lot of these imaging rules have very similar criteria and are really looking at presenting symptoms, trying to determine severity from mechanism of action, and then seeing if there's anything else going on in the picture, like drug or alcohol use, and then age, of course. Although the imaging guidelines have high sensitivities, it would be beneficial to have a quick, reliable diagnostic test to determine if those with milder symptoms require a head CT or not. So this is where biomarkers might come into play. Like I was talking about earlier, it would be advantageous to providers to have this quick objective diagnostic test to determine the presence of brain injury, and it would also be helpful in determining recovery time. CT scans are a great imaging tool to determine blood and bone injuries, um, but in mild TBI cases, CT scans will be normal about 90% of the time. So wouldn't it be helpful to know which subset of mild TBI patients actually require a CT scan? The answer is yes. <laughs> so serum biomarkers have been researched to look at their detection ability of predicting CT positive versus CT negative brain injury and their prognostic ability for determining future neurocognitive function. Without this quick, reliable, objective diagnostic test, like the serum biomarkers, 
providers rely heavier on imaging and tend to overimage patients with mild TBIs. Overimaging patients can lead to longer ER wait times, poor ER efficiency, exposure to unnecessary radiation for the patients, and uneconomical healthcare resource allocation. With a test that would allow us to know who is going to have positive and negative CT brain injury, we can cut down on the number of CT scans that are needed, improving ER efficiency, improving ER wait times, and doing a better job at allocating healthcare resources. So before I move on to the next episode, I just want to go over the management of mild TBIs. Once the diagnosis of a mild TBI is made, patients should be educated on how to best manage their symptoms to prevent post-concussive syndrome. To manage a concussion, patients should physically and cognitively rest, so avoid looking at screens or academically straining themselves as well as physical rest for about 24 to 48 hours after injury. Currently, there's inconclusive evidence if complete rest is beneficial. Then, patients should adhere to a stepwise progression of increasing their activity both cognitively and physically as tolerated. If patients experience return of symptoms at their current step, such as headache, photophobia, nausea, vomiting, it's a sign that they're pushing themselves too hard and they need to go back a step. Emergency department providers should make sure there's a plan in place for who the patient should be following up with to help them create this stepwise progression and check on their symptom burden, whether that be their family medicine provider or athletic trainer, someone at their school if it's a sports-related injury, but someone needs to be following this to make sure they're not doing too much too fast. So in the same, like I was talking about before, having a quick, reliable diagnostic test to kind of gauge recovery and detect TBIs, this would be a really great place for biomarker tests as well. Since a lot of these symptoms are self-reported by the patient, it can be difficult to gauge their recovery, especially if they have pressures to return to their sport. So having a test that would tell us if the patient is recovered from their TBI or still suffering from symptoms um, would give us a better idea of when to tell athletes they can return to their sport, especially because it's already been proven that repeated head injury can lead to long-lasting neurological symptoms and decline of function. So in summary, mild TBIs, GCS of 14 to 15, moderate 9 to 13, and severe anything less than 9. Usually patients will be worked up using a history and physical where we always start, then move to a neurological exam, a GCS, and then looking at imaging guidelines to see if they require a CT scan. However, most patients with mild TBIs will have normal CT scans about 90% of the time. So this is where biomarkers come into play, giving us an objective diagnostic test to look at to see if there is brain injury. So stay tuned for the next episode as we dive deeper into specific biomarkers and their predicted clinical utility. Thanks for listening, and I hope you learned something new. For show notes, episode links, and research included in this podcast, please visit talkingtbis.wordpress.com. 